This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. There's a good word from Pastor Sean. Thanks, Sean, for that on the Memorial Day. If you can open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, 16. Continuing our Forsaking Kingdom series, the title of today's message is Six Extremes. I want to encourage you, you know, you've probably been on your device or your phone more lately over the last couple of months than you have been in a long time or maybe even ever. I just want to encourage you to get a Bible, uh, uh, some pages and some leather or whatever your Bible is made out of and, and open it up and, and jot down a couple notes. I know that the Lord wants to speak something to you today. I, I, it's just I can feel it in my bones So he's going to speak a word to us and be ready to receive it. Amen. The title of today's message, once again, is Six Extremes. And I have a question for you. If you're paying attention, have you noticed this, that we have a tendency to go to extremes? Does anybody does anybody agree? Like we have a tendency to to find ourselves like on the other side of the spectrum. And if and and if somebody we disagree with is over here, we sometimes we tend to go further in the opposite direction. You notice now that people are identifying themselves and, and, and very polarized. They're very extremely separated. And, and I, uh, a few months ago, <clears throat> before the COVID-19 stuff, uh, I was feeling sick for uh, a few days, a handful of days. Don't worry, I'm okay. I was fine. Everything's, everything's legit. And I just felt really bad, you know. And um, so I did the one thing that you are not supposed to do. Does anybody know what that is? I Googled my symptoms. <laughs> you, you know what happened, right? I, I quickly came to the conclusion that I was going to die soon just from the things that I read about what I felt like, how I was feeling. And, and um, it seems like with, with more information, we have more of a tendency to even pick sides and go to extremes. And This text this morning in chapter 16 is a warning about extremes, and, and it's an example. It, it gives us these six examples of, of people who go to extremes and, and some of the warnings and, and some of the benefits of certain kinds of extremes. Let's start in chapter 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the, in the morning. It will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He left them and departed. First of all, the first two examples that we're going to look at are these two different groups. 
So the first one is the Pharisees. The second one is the Sadducees. I have the definition, a little description for you up here on the screen. A Pharisee, the word Pharisee is derived from an Arabic word meaning separated or, you know, they acted like Pharisees. They were special. They were better than everybody else. They held to their own added laws and oral tradition, which was called the Mishnah, more than the Bible, which the Old Testament was called the, or is called the Torah. Jesus' strongest words of condemnation were aimed at the Pharisees. Some of Jesus' other strongest words are found in the book of Revelation to the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were those people who wanted to rule over the lay people. They, they created a barrier for people to pass through to get to God. And, and Jesus died for the sins of the world so people would have direct access to him. Not that they would have to go through certain people. But the Pharisees, they, they would travel, as Jesus said, land and sea to win a convert that, and make them twice the son of hell that they were. And this, this Mishnah, this, this oral law, it was their traditions that they came up with. And this is kind of the idea. They didn't want people to break God's law, the commandments of God's law, so they created their own man-made laws and said, don't, don't break these laws, and if you don't break these laws, then you for sure won't break God's laws. But here's the problem, that God never told them that they had to do or couldn't do those certain things. They took a, a, a little bit of a, a burden to obey the law, and they made it greater, very heavy. And then Jesus comes in, he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light not giving you this list of rules and laws that you have to abide jesus gives us freedom number one adding to things adding to god's law or god's expectations for us with things that, that have no business being in our lives and we we can do this too we can add on certain things make it seem like we're holier or better than other people if we do them we all have the same access to god's throne Go boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. Everybody, anybody. The second group is the Sadducees. They were a wealthy, I have a, the definition for you here. They were a wealthy priestly class that didn't believe in supernatural. In Acts, it says of them, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. It's incredible to me that a priestly class that led the people took away from or did not believe in the power of God, specifically in the resurrection. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's why they were sad, you see. They had no hope. And tomorrow they had no hope of the, re the greatest promise to us in the Bible, conquering death, the resurrection of the body. They had a tendency to downplay the miraculous. And then here's something else you can see with these two groups. When it's evening, Jesus said, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. What is Jesus saying? I've already been giving you time, uh, signs. I've already been showing you. I've already been doing these things. These people have, have seen the feedings of the thousands and all of the things that God was doing through Jesus Christ. And what's their response? Show us a sign. He said, the only sign that you're going to get is the greatest sign of all, the death, burial, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, if you don't believe by then, I mean, think about, you know, plotting to kill Jesus because he heals somebody on the Sabbath. I still can't wrap my head around that. And you want a sign? There are some people that Jesus could come down and sit next to you in the chair and have a conversation with you, and you would still struggle to believe. Or some people harden their hearts and they say, I'm not going to believe. No matter what happens, when God is trying, he, he's actively revealing himself. He's giving signs. He's speaking. But for us, we've kind of can identify with two camps, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and I, don't, I can't remember if I mentioned it in this service or if it was the last service. The only thing that the Pharisees and Sadducees could agree on, do you know what it was? How much they hated Jesus. Otherwise, they were on opposite sides of the spectrum. They were extremists. And in their extreme thinking, they missed the Son of God. And he left them and departed. Verse number five. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, this is interesting because this is our point number three. And the point, if you're taking notes, the, the title of the point is presumptuous perplexion. It's, it's, an, it's an assumption. It's an assuming without asking. You know, the number one reason that couples are in marriage counseling when they come in and talk to Gracie, Gracie and I, you know what? Communication. They don't know how to talk to each other. And then things are coming out that I didn't know you thought that. Why didn't you ever tell me? Why? It doesn't seem like you guys talk very much. You know, I've had to say that quite a few times. It doesn't seem like you guys talk very much. Maybe you should go have a conversation about some of these things communication and what happens if we don't communicate clearly with each other we start to assume things ever done that before where somebody looked at you a certain way or said something or had a tone when they said something and you just thought well that's whoa i'm not happy with that and and maybe a few weeks go by or months hey some cases years go by and then finally had a conversation with somebody before Finally, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Ever since 1997, we've never, you know, had the kind of relationship. Well, you know that one day? No, I don't know. That you looked at me that way, and you didn't say hi to me, and then you made that comment about my hair? I, I knew that you hated me, so I've never wanted to talk to you again. Well, that could have been cleared up. That was not my intention at all. In fact, I had some really spicy pizza earlier, and my stomach was really bothering me. I was just uncomfortable. But nobody can know that without any kind of level of communication. And then we come to assumptions. Hey, if you're coming to assumptions without getting clear communication, clarification, you will find yourself going down the path of extreme. 
You'll get on the train and you'll end up in a destination that you never intended to go. You didn't know you were going to go there, but you started to ask questions and think things that you really should have no business doing. You know what? These guys have been with Jesus for a long time, right? For a while. And every time they had a question, what did they do? They asked him. They said, hey, Jesus, what does this parable mean? Hey, Jesus. And he's like, and he's like, you guys still don't understand, you know, and he's explaining this is what it means and that's what it means. But now they're in for some reason they're in some place where it's too hard to say, sorry, we didn't bring the bread. Or is this about the bread? This isn't about the bread. And I like how even the language you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? You know, reason is good. You can but you have to be reasonable. When you're reasoning, sometimes you can be really unreasonable in your reasoning, in your process of reasoning. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? You can be unreasonable. Like, why in the world will we go over there? That's not even connected to has any part of what's going on right now, what we're going through. Don't let it become something that is extreme for you. These people literally just saw Jesus feed thousands of people on two separate occasions and they're wondering if jesus is mad about bread i keep telling you guys and then verse 12 then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of of the bread but of the doctrine of the pharisees and sadducees then they understood when did they understand after they received the clarification But they didn't ask. Jesus brought it up, didn't he? Jesus says, hey, you guys, where are you going? Don't don't be getting all extreme on me. I'm not talking about the bread. Remember, I fed a lot of people. But then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Doctrine is good. We have church doctrine, biblical doctrine, what we believe is doctrine, but, but doctrine can also be bad. There's good doctrine, there's bad doctrine. The Bible even talks about doctrine of demons, which you don't really want to give yourself over to, do you? No, we don't want to follow bad doctrine. I don't know, a lot of us have been home. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I don't even know if I should say it, but it's too late because I already did it in the first service. But we watched that docudrama Waco on, on Netflix. That is a good example. If you'd like to see what the doctrine of demons looks like, that is false doctrine. That is pharisaical, sadduceic doctrine. This man manipulated people to do things that were unbelievable that ended up costing them their lives because they gave themselves over to bad doctrine. And Jesus is just warning and saying, hey, just because it's doctrine doesn't mean that it's something that you should be doing or following. All of our doctrine has to be backed up 100% with God's word. That's how we develop doctrine in the church. It's it's, uh, talked about in the Old Testament. It's connected to one of the Gospels in the New Testament. And then the epistles address it as well. It's through the whole book of the Bible. And then we could say, this is the doctrine, not just picking and choosing. You know, what's interesting is a lot of these people that want you to follow phony, bogus doctrines, they, they just get a word from the Lord out of nowhere that ends up contradicting the Bible, and they, and they coerce people into doing what they want them to do. It's a manipulation. Don't 
give yourselves over to presumptuous perplexion, assuming things. Ask God to give you the revelation. Then we see in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, really quick, let's pause there for a second before we continue and notice where they're at. They're at uh, Caesarea Philippi. This part of Israel, if you come with us to Israel, is a beautiful area with some streams, a river, and it comes from the base of Mount Hermon and goes down into this, this, you know, this very green, lush tree valley that goes down into the desert. It's gorgeous. And at the top, where the, where the stream starts up at the top, there's this big hole in the side of the mountain. And there used to be, over the ages, different temples built there. And pagans would go sacrifice children, animals, whatever, to worship their foreign gods. And that place specifically was, was called the Gates of Hades or the Gates of Hell. I want you to keep that in mind as I continue to read for you, okay? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am, Jesus says? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So let's back up. We're at point number four, right? Point number four is divine revelation. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is kind of a counter extreme, if you will, like maybe it's it's a need that we should have. But Jesus says that Peter didn't figure this out, that it was it was divinely gifted to him, given to him. He was being influenced by the Spirit of God, and his eyes were open to see it. And we, too, are influenced by various things, as I'm well sure you're, you're aware. We're influenced by things, and we make decisions based on that influence, and some decisions are good decisions, and some decisions are bad decisions. When you're influenced by the Spirit of God, you're going to make good decisions. You're going to see things on a divine level that you wouldn't otherwise see. And people might look at you being influenced by the Spirit of God and think you're different. Maybe they're a little extreme. But it's not extreme in the negative sense. It's that giving over to the divine will of God, not the, 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 our own personal will. The contrast we're going to see in the next point, so I don't want to get ahead of myself or give it away, but right now, people are being influenced by a lot of things. And the more information you have, the harder sometimes it is to navigate or, or know what you believe. All the things that contradict each other, and you get one news article that says one thing today, and then there's another one tomorrow that says it's completely false, 100% proven, contradicted. And it's just like, what do you believe? You know, this is what you should believe. You should believe to, that you should turn the news off is what you should do. And open this, open God's word, 
to get that divine influence in your life that you need. And this is what I find. I find that the more that I'm in God's word, the more I'm influenced into his will for me and the easier it is. The more I'm away, the harder it gets. And I'm not kidding because I lose perspective so quickly. And then if this isn't or you guys aren't influencing me as the body of Christ, then what happens? I leave a void for other things to start to influence me. And then my process of thinking shifts. I have friends that are saying things on social media that I have to private message and say, hey, maybe you should tone it down a little bit. I mean, we're all being influenced by stuff right now, and I get it that you're in a difficult place, but just be careful. This stuff's, we've been, keep saying it, you know, this stuff's going to be out there for a long time. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Many, many pastors and teachers have stood at this spot that we stood in Israel and believed that Jesus was standing right in front of the gates of Hades. The, the world religious system represented in those pagan-style temples and worship and he said that the church is greater than any world religion that the world has to offer. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There will be no progress for them. And he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I need you to understand something. Context when we read the Bible is everything. There's so many people that take this verse and they start naming it and claiming it and binding and loosening and all kinds of things. And it binds you. What are you binding? The only time that you can bind or loose anything or have any kind of authority is if you're being influenced to do so by the Holy Spirit. This is what this is what Jesus is saying to him. He said, you know, th- it was the, the mountain of the rock Hermon. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And when you're being influenced by the spirit of God, you can do anything. But then look at how quickly things change. Verse 20, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And I love, love, love that it's the same person that's teaching us this lesson. It's not a different disciple. It's not somebody else. It's the guy that just got exalted for saying something, being influenced by the Spirit of God, being influenced by the Spirit of God, divine revelation to him, putting his foot in his mouth. Because of what? Why did he say that? Because he was being influenced to do so by the flesh. Well, Jesus can't do that. Because if Jesus does that, then what about me? See, a lot of our perception or our understanding of who Jesus is is a direct reflection on who who he is to us or what we think he should be doing for us. 
That's not who Jesus is. Well, this is going to mess every, everything up, Jesus, if you die. And then how is it going to affect me? I'm not going to, I have this, this, this plan in, in place, and I, I know what, what I'm doing now, but you're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And you know why I think Jesus said those words and said it so strongly? It's a good contrast to the thing that we just saw previously, but also because I, I am putting an emphasis on the influence. And Satan doesn't have to come and, and cast a spell over you. He doesn't have to possess you. He doesn't have to do any of those things. He just has to offer suggestions and push you in a direction that you're not supposed to go. And it's easy to cater to the flesh. One of my favorite references of people uh, being driven by their flesh is the verse, their gods are their bellies. You guys have heard me reference that before. I love that verse. Their gods are their bellies. What do I feel like eating today? What do I feel, what do I feel like? And then, and then the, the conversation, you know, with husbands with their wives, no offense wives, but hey, baby, where do you want to eat? I don't know. Well, what about this place? No, not there. I'll eat anywhere. What about this place? No, not there. Their gods are their bellies. That was a joke. That was a joke. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Whenever our thinking comes down to a, a mortality level of living and dying, we are disconnected from the abundant life that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Big perspective is eternal life. And, and Peter's getting upset about something that he, has, he, he doesn't understand. And by the grace of God, God's revealing that to him. But some of us, it, you know, it, it takes a little bit for us to remember that, that it's not about the things that, that happen here on a day-to-day -day basis. It's about an eternal being, an eternal happening. And that can be hard when we start to be affected by things in life on a day-to-day -day level. I didn't give you the point number five if you're taking notes, but point number five is carnal declaration. He told Jesus that he wasn't going to die because he was being influenced by the flesh. That can't be Jesus. And maybe it wasn't even coming directly. You remember how Jesus didn't give Peter credit for recognizing him as the son of God. He said, my father in heaven told you. And he doesn't give him credit for his doubt in God's plan either, does he? He says, Satan's the one influencing you in this way. If we can make that distinction with the thoughts that we have, not coming to conclusions based on assumption, we won't find ourselves going to these extremes that we find ourselves going to. Then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Number six, dying produces life. Probably the most extreme controversial concept in the Bible. I see two kinds of Christians in the world. Christians that understand, they, they can grasp what this, 
disciple of Jesus Christ dying to self looks like and the benefits of it and how they can live in life through it. And then people that just identify as Christians because they live in a Christian context and don't understand what dying to self looks like and they cannot and do not live in a place of abundant life. That's not accusatory, it's just factual. When we understand what Jesus is saying by picking up our crosses and following him, not making about what our will is but the will of God, it's only through that Dying to ourself will we experience what true life is meant to be for us on earth and for eternity. Continue reading with me, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Could you imagine? I asked that question when we did it a, f- a few months ago. What would, you, what would somebody give in exchange for their soul? Like anything that you could get, like if you said, I'd give my soul for this, anything that you could get is going to be utterly temporary. There's literally nothing that you can get for giving your soul that's going to last for all of eternity, which is the gift that God wants to give us through his son, Jesus Christ. What profit is a man that gains the whole world and loses his Or what can, will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come to in, in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I understand. This is extreme, right? We're doing extremes. I understand that it might be difficult for us to really grasp and wrap our head around this whole picking up our cross and dying to ourselves so that we can live. I cannot explain it to you until you go through it and experience it yourself of of what abundant life truly looks like when you do it. When we have worry about tomorrow, trying to figure everything out ourselves, trying to make things work the way that we want to, anxiety, all of those things, they can only produce death. But dying to those things, not being in control, not taking things into my own hands, not doing what I want to do, dying and picking up my cross and following Jesus Christ, if I lose my life in that way, I will receive an abundance of life. And I have. But I had to go through some really dark days to get there. I'm just telling you that if you are, keep going. Keep on going. Dying to self. Crying out to God. Receiving his word for you so that you can receive life and life abundantly. Let's go over those six points in closing. Number one, the Jewish religious extremes. Pharisees. Pharisees were people who made their own rules and forced others to abide by them. Don't be a Pharisee. God has given everything that we need in his word, and he's given us the instruction to follow him, and probably the most extreme instruction that we already know is picking up your cross and following him. Correct? But don't start to make your own rules and add things and judge other people based on it. You will be going to an extreme that the Pharisees found themselves in, and, and they start to block people's relationship with God by 
forcing them to obey those things, and, and Jesus is not going to be happy. Number two, Sadducees. The Sadducees refused to believe in the power of the God they worshipped. What an oxymoron. Reason, 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 think, 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 figure, figure, figure. God is greater than your picture. God is greater than your expectation. But let me say this, God cannot raise and give life unless there's faith connected to it. He doesn't do it in spite of you. When we place faith in him, that's how he moves mountains. Not because, well, you're never going to believe I can move this mountain, so let me move it for you, spoil little brat. No. You have to have the faith in God. Because he is big. His power is able. He's almighty and sufficient. Number three, presumptuous perplexion. Stop assuming things. All you have to do is communicate a little. Ask a question. And that goes with God. That doesn't just go for your relationships that you have with people. If you have a question that you need clarity on, go to your prayer closet. Write it down. God, what is this? Ask him so that you're not being driven to the extreme of your own conclusion. Number four, divine revelation. This is something that I, had, I have to daily do on a regular basis. I have to be willingly placing myself in, in a walking in the Spirit so I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh kind of mentality. You ever get up, take a shower, worship and praise the shower, having a great day? Well, man, I feel good, yeah. And then you get out, you get in your car and you're driving, and that old guy cuts you off, and you're like, what are you doing? Clearly, I have the right. There was no stop sign there. Why are you stopping? Somebody did that to me the other day. I'm like, I'm like trying to pull in. They stop. I'm like, I'm confused. I got to stop sign. You don't. Who goes? Drive. I didn't say it like that. I was like, hey, how you doing? Maybe want to go. I'm in a hurry. Influenced by the spirit, not influenced by the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, place yourself in God's Word, seek Him, seeking Him, praying, He'll reveal Himself to you, and you'll have that divine revelation. Number five, carnal declaration. We make carnal declarations when we are influenced by technically Satan, but by the flesh, the appetites of the flesh. This is exactly what Satan did to Eve. Look, it's pretty, it's got sparkles on it, Eve, and it looks like it tastes good, so it probably does taste good. And did God really say it was an appetite? And they both took it and ate. Don't be carnal. Be influenced by, this, by the flesh. And then number six, very simply, dying produces life. Let go and live. If you don't let go, you can't live. You can't partake or experience the resurrection until you die to yourself first so you can have life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today and, and that it is strong, that it is powerful.
to the changing of lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters that, that you would do that for them, that you would touch their lives, that you would change their lives, that we take these, these extremes, these principles that we learned about this morning and apply them to our lives. So that we could be different, not different in a pharisaical way, like a Pharisee, but different in a, in a holy way, in a set-apart way, in a, in a special way your children, your sons and your daughters, with our desire to worship you and represent you rightly and represent you well. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have to be in your word. And Father, we pray for the whole country. We pray for the state. We pray for our governing authorities that are trying to make decisions that are correct, but Lord, that some of them are making decisions that are maybe not correct. And Father, we just pray for an extra measure of grace for your church. Especially an extra measure of grace for your church here in Nevada. That the governing authorities would see that when it's time for us to reopen and gather together, that we would be able to do that. And, and by your grace, that it would be soon. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.